Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. From the fiery pages of the mightiest annals of the West comes the supreme saga in the great tradition of frontier drama. Francis. blazing saddle he wore a shining star his job to offer battle to bad men near and far what's your name well my name is jim but most people call me jim well do your best Let's see. Where were we? Oh, Rock Ridge. Rock Ridge. I want that land. Clumsy fool. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. There might be legal precedent. Of course. Land snatching. Let's see. Land, let land. See snatch. Ah. Hello, handsome. Is that a ten-gallon hat? So just sign this, sir, right here. Okay, give us a hand here. All right, sir. Work, 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 work. The heroic sheriff rallies his citizens in the wildest finish the West has ever seen or the movies have ever shown. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. I am your host, Jimbo, and I'm joined by a special guest today. Well, he's not blazing on in on the saddle. (laughs) He is me, Terrence. (laughs) You know, if he was a character from this movie, he would be Mongo, just saying. So, um, yeah, we'll get to that in just a minute. Blazing Saddles. I know a lot of podcasts shy away from this movie for obvious reasons, <laughs> but you know, it's me and Terrence. We we really don't care. Um, it's a classic, man. It's, yeah. So, but we'll talk dive back more into that in a little bit. Terrence, I'm going to give you this opportunity to tell the people what's been up with you because you have been MIA for several weeks, yeah, <laughs> months, if you will. I so mean, just in, everybody, in short, everybody was worried about you, man. So <laughs> in short, life happened, and then even this past week, uh, we were supposed to record last week, and then I uh, got stranded on the road. I, I uh, got a new job for uh, trucking, not like eighteen wheeler, like David, like no, expedite, like, expedite shipping, uh, um, big box trucks, just to step down from the eighteen wheeler. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I had to drive from uh, Indiana to Connecticut. And uh, got stranded in Ohio, middle of nowhere town. <laughs> but not only that, tell them after you got to Connecticut, where did you have to go back to and wait for a ride? Oh, yeah, yeah. Back to Ohio. You had to go up to Cleveland <laughs> and wait to get picked up. So, well, we'll hope, hopefully we're back on track where we can uh, start getting these out more frequently, uh, hopefully weekly. Um, 
but yeah, uh, life's good. I was going to throw Terrence a question, but I think life's thrown him enough lately that oh, I don't need Give me need the it. question. Give huh? me the question. It's part you of the show. All right. <laughs> what do you think was Mel Brooks's greatest movie that he did? My absolute... Well, it's hard because... No, no. There's only so, one. so much bias because I've seen all of them so much. Uh, I got to give it to History of the World Part 1. It's It's... Never fails to just make me laugh uncontrollably. Mine's probably <laughs> Young Frankenstein, man. <laughs> this just can't go wrong with that. I figured so. you were going to say that one. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. I mean, because baseballs, men yeah. tights, we could go on and, so on and on and on. Silent movie, high anxiety, the producer. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so here we go, episode fifty-one, Blazing Saddles. Blazing Saddles. All right, let's get right into it. Uh, release date February seventh, nineteen seventy-four. Runtime is 93 minutes, so a good hour 30. It's a nice little movie to squeeze in right before you do a podcast. Is that from experience? <laughs> Rating, uh, this is an R, and it is all language. <laughs> yeah. um, and just for the record, we're not going to use that language here. Um, when we say that word, I hope everybody knows what that word we are talking about. <laughs> I mean, there's a few that words. In this well, movie. but I mean, there's one that. We'll, yeah. yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, so we have. Uh, yep, this is definitely rated R, um, but it is definitely just because of language. Just so you know, if you haven't watched it already, which you should, but also know that there's a lot of harsh. Well, language. you know, you probably told them this six months ago, the last time you did a podcast, so they might have forgot. <laughs> so yeah, duh, uh Hard R for the language. Uh, budget, $2.6 million. Uh, then we have our box office, which uh, was $119.6 million. Uh, this was directed by Mel Brooks, one of our favorites. Writing credits will go to, of course, Mel Brooks for screenplay. Um, and you've heard us list a bunch of you know movies he's written. Um, this was also uh, written by Norman Steinberg, who also wrote Johnny Dangerously, or helped write Johnny Dangerously and Funny About Love. Uh, Andrew Bergman, who helped write Big, uh, Little Big League and White Fang. Uh, then we have Richard Pryor, who helped write for this movie. Uh, <laughs> uh, he helped write. I, I pulled some of his uh, writing credits because, you know, obviously he's been in a bunch of movies, too. But since he was a writer on this, I'd concentrate on some of the other stuff he helped write, which was um, Some Kind of Hero, The Wiz, and Car Wash are some of the movies he helped write as a comedian. And we all remember that Terrence watched <laughs> The Wiz before he watched The Wizard of Oz. Exactly. So. Uh, then we have Alan Uger, uh, who also helped write uh, Leader of the Band. Um, his his uh, writing credits were very short. It consisted of this movie and Leader of the Band. <laughs> uh, this music is by, or at least particularly the opening song, because um, I know Mel Brooks does a lot of uh, music composing himself in these movies. Uh, he had a background in Broadway, and then he moved that into you know screenplay. Uh, but we got John Morris, uh, who helped write the opening song and various other songs. Well, you know, you know the, the theme song. We'll probably get to it later on. I'll probably repeat myself, but. He didn't know that it was a comedy. He thought it was a real <laughs> Western. That's why it sounds so, you know. But once he watched the movie, he thought yeah. he didn't have a problem with it. You know what I mean? So. It's great. Uh, cinematography by uh, Joseph Bayrock, uh, who also did cinematography for Flight of the Phoenix, Airplane, and the original Longest Yard. This was edited by Danford Jean and John C. Howard. Uh, Danford Jean uh, also helped edit M.A.S.H., uh, and John C. Howard helped edit uh, Butch Cassidy and the S uh, uh, Sundance Kid. Mm -hmm. So that's some of the, the things that they worked on. This was produced by uh, Crossbow Productions, which, as far as the production company, uh, they only produced this movie and Young Frankenstein, uh, which both came out in the same year. And this was distributed by Warner Brothers. And now, finally, the awards. You can always tell I'm at a different table when it sounds different. <laughs> <laughs> Academy Awards USA 1975. Uh, got a bunch of nominations uh, as far as Academy Award goes. We got Best Actress in Supporting Role, Madeline Kahn. Uh, then we have Best Film Editing, John C. Howard and Dan or Danford B. Jean. Best Music Original Song by John Morris and Mel Brooks for the song Blazing Saddles, the intro song. Then we have on to the BAFTA Awards, 1975. Which stands for what? I forgot. <laughs> the British... Go ahead. British something film something awards. <laughs> Television, <laughs> Television awards. Television awards. 
Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I also realized I missed a whole sort of little segment chunk on my uh, list here. I didn't write down any of the uh, uh, box office of that year. Well, you, you know, you spaced just... out on everything this time around. <laughs> All right, uh, we got nomination for most promising newcomer to leading film roles, uh, Siobhan Little. Then we have best screenplay. Um, this movie, of course. National Film Preservation Board. It hit the National Film Preservation Board in 2006. Probably like right on the mark of when it can be accepted. Uh, like a lot of the movies we that have already hit the National Film Preservation Board. Online Film and Television Association, 2016. Uh, they were uh, initiated that uh, in 2016. Yep. Writers Guild of America, USA, 1975. They won for Best Comedy... Written directly for the screen because uh, there were still a lot of comedies for um, stage play, you know, uh, Broadway and stuff like that. But uh, so there was an actual distinct difference for screenplay and stage play as far as comedies go. And that's it for the awards. All right, Terrence, I'm gonna throw this at you. This is this is totally off the cusp, but if you had to give a synopsis of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write one down for you. I want you to give me a synopsis. If you if you were trying to tell somebody, hey, me watch Blazing Saddle because it's a movie about this. I want you to get, tell me tell me how you would rope them in to sell them to watch this movie. <laughs> it's about. Uh, I just got to remember the, the, the characters. I'm blanking on the characters' names already. What's um, Sheriff Bart? Is that his? Sheriff Bart. So uh, we have Bart, who the character Bart, who. Becomes sheriff of a town, <laughs> and he becomes sheriff of a town for a particular man. I just have to do a lot of dancing around. Um, <laughs> basically, Sheriff Bart is a African American. Yeah, basically got forced into becoming a sheriff of a predominantly white town um, because they were going to expe- hang him up. Yeah, or something. the expectations of them taking him out, but instead he ends up helping the town. Uh, the town Succeed and succeeds, and uh, they have, and then they end up having to find off bandits and, and, and an so, assortment of other. So basically, things. your synopsis: nobody will ever watch this movie. <laughs> uh, okay, let's just move on to the cast because the, the, that's gone. Uh, so we had Cleveland Little, who plays the main character, Sheriff Bart. Um, he was a big theater guy, uh, performer. Um, so we'll dive into some of the stuff about him later. Gene Wilder, who has been probably my top three favorite actors of all time. Oh, yeah. um, Young Frankenstein, Haunted Honeymoon, I could go on and on. Uh, but he plays Jim, the Waco kid. <laughs> he's just, just the funniest guy in this movie. He, I, I like when he, he's holding out his hand. He's yeah. Like, oh, that looks really still. He's like, yeah, that's, my other hand's my shooting hand. It's and like, the other one's super shaky. And he's like, make your move. I did. Win right now. <laughs> you know, to play chess. Um, Slim Pickens, as Stagger. You know, Slim Pickens was a um, a cowboy in earlier roles in his film uh, film career, but this is where have you ever heard? Hey, it's Slim Pickens. Yeah. This is, that came from this movie. Really? Yeah, because <laughs> it's in my notes somewhere. But I thought <laughs> I'd throw that in right now. Um, Harvey Corman as Headley Lamar. Um, he was in History of the World Part One, and he was also in Dracula. It's Headley, <laughs> Dr- Dracula Dead, and loving it. Uh, you had Madeline Kahn as Lily von Stoop, uh, the Teutonic. <laughs> so great. She was in Clue where she played Mrs. White, and she was also in Young Frankenstein where she played Elizabeth. Man, she's good too. I love that song. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm just tired. Uh, Mel Brooks as Governor William J. La Petome, uh, Petomain, and the Indian Chief. Uh, well, you're just laughing because all I'm doing is saying names, and you know because I'm just remembering the scenes. Okay. <laughs> I know. Uh, you had Burton Gilliam as Lyle. He was in Back to the Future uh, Three as Colt. You had Alex Karras, who was a former football player. He played Mongo, yeah. and he's probably most famous for us being on the TV show Webster. He was Webster's dad. Oh, if you okay, remember Webster, right. so I do not. I didn't even watch it. <laughs> She's like, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. No, nah, I don't even have a clue. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, David Huddleston as Olson uh, Olson Johnson. Uh, he was in Frantic. He played Peter. Liam Dunn as Reverend Johnson. He was in The Shaggy Dog in 1976 as the dog catcher. Yeah, John Hillerman as Howard Johnson. George Firth as Van Johnson. He was in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid as Woodcock. Uh, you had Claude 
Enos Stara Jr., or he goes by the name Jack, as Gabby Johnson. He was in Rambo, First Blood, and played Gaul. They had Carol Arthur as Harriet Johnson, Richard Collier as Dr. Samuel Johnson, Charles McGregor as uh, Charlie, Robin Hilton as Miss Stein, the governor's secretary, Dom DeLuise as Buddy Bazaar, the director of The French Mistake. Uh, he was been in movies like uh, Cannonball Run. He was in uh, The Secret of Nim. Okay, he yeah, was, yeah. He was he does a lot of voice acting, actually. Um, uh, he, he voice acted a lot of the like the Disney and I sort think, of Siri cartoons. I think he was in um, um, Five Old Goes West, I think, wasn't yeah, he? Was. Or something um, like he was as in the Five Sheriff, Goes West, I think. Uh, and then a lot of the you know big mo- uh, Disney movies that became like TV series. Yeah. Uh, like Hercules was one of them. He was in there. 101 Dalmatians, he was in there. Um, I believe I also saw him do some voice work for Wild Thornberries. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That must be one of your generation cartoons. <laughs> uh, then you have, you know, some of the, some of these people that when they get credited for something in a movie as their their character. Yeah. So you have John Alderson as Gum Chewer. <laughs> <laughs> you got Don Megawan as Man Who Confronts Lily on Stage. <laughs> uh, Rodney Allen Rippy as Young Bart. Uh, Robert Ridgely as Boris the Hangman. <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen this movie, Boris the Hangman, he's pretty funny, man. So uh, Ralph Manta as the man dressed as Hitler. So. <laughs> uh, some other little cast notes. Uh, Count Basie and his orchestra make a cameo appearance playing April in Paris in the middle of the desert as Bart rides towards Rock Ridge to assume the post of sheriff. <laughs> Uh, Brooks appears in three on-screen roles, Governor Lipitam, the Yiddish-speaking Native American chief, <laughs> and an applicant for Hedley Lamar's Thug Army. He was an aviator wearing gla- sunglasses and a flight jacket. He also has two off-screen voice roles as one of Lily's German's chorus boys during I'm Tired and as a grouchy moviegoer. Uh, Le Potaman, or Potaman uh, refers to Joseph Pujol, a performer in the 19th century France who was a professional farter. <laughs> Using Lepotamine as a stage name. Professional farter. Professional farter. <laughs> I never thought I'd... <laughs> didn't even know there was such a thing. Uh, Brooks' wife, Anne Bancroft, is also said to have appeared in an extra in the church congregation scene. Hmm. Uh, Carol Arthur, uh, who was Harriet Johnson, was Dom DeLuise's wife. And Olson Johnson is a reference to the vaudeville comedy team Olson and Johnson. Uh, Howard Johnson to the defunct Howard and Johnson's restaurant chain. Van Johnson to the actor Van Johnson. And Dr. Samuel Johnson, the 18th century writer by that name. The character of Gabby Johnson is directly parody of cowboy actor Gabby Hayes. So, oh, Terrence, man. are you ready to talk about some stuff in this movie? <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, from, the, from the opening scene, I mean, when they're on the train yard, or on the, working on the, the slaves are working on the, 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 railroad. Road, the yeah. railroad, it starts there, and it doesn't stop. It doesn't let up, man. And, and you know, watching this movie and them using a derogatory term, man, it just made me feel uncomfortable at times. You know what I mean? It's, I mean, th- it, this is written by two people who love pushing the envelope and doing that kind of comedy, which is Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor. Right. So, so <laughs> But, I mean, even, even watching it now, you're still like, you know, it's kind of still taken back by yeah. what did I just hear? You know, because because sometimes I, you I, hear somebody it, say something, you're like, what did they say? But this is this, it, they just keep doing it, and we'll find out that some of the people, even the actors, had problems with it. But it wasn't until like Cleveland Little One. Oh, we'll get to it. I'll, yeah, t- I'll yeah. tell you. So we'll just we'll just go ahead and start running through this. So I, I just pulled this scene up earlier because Cleveland Little was not warned about the, you know. Morons line, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he just starts cracking up. But he that was totally off script, you know what I mean? Uh, Mel Brooks never told Frankie Lane that the theme song Blazing Saddle was for a comedy. Lane thought it was a dramatic western. Brooks was worried that Lane <laughs> wouldn't sing with conviction if he knew the truth. <laughs> um, when the film was first screened for Warner Brothers executives, almost none of them laughed. Oh, and no. the movie looked to be a disaster that the studio would not release. However, Mel Brooks quickly set up a subsequent screening for the studio's employees. When these regular folks laughed uproariously throughout the movie, Warner Brothers finally agreed to take a chance on releasing it. So That's good. Uh, Bunch of uptight executives. I don't like it. I don't think it'll do well. One day in the Warner Brothers commissary, Mel Brooks saw John Wayne sitting at a table next to him. Wayne then saw Brooks and said to him, I hear you're making a Western where they say, blow it out your... 
And Brooks said he was, and taking a chance, gave Wayne a script offering him a part of the film. After reading it, Wayne told Brooks that it was too dirty and said he would not be able to do it, but assured Brooks that he would be the first in line to see it. <laughs> I wonder what his thoughts were. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? Well, Pilgrim. <laughs> uh, There's a funny this, movie. Man, this was one of my favorite scenes of the movie. The scene where... Bart takes the gun and aims at his own head oh, yeah. uh, to save himself from the townspeople's wrath was based on an incident from Mel Brooks' childhood. He said that once, to his disbelief, he stole some gum and a water pistol from a drugstore. When a store worker tried to stop him, Brooks held the worker at bay with the very water pistol he had just taken from the store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gene Wilder said of the, this film, they've smashed racism in the face, but they're doing it while you laugh. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, it's a very racist movie, but it's, it's they like make the, fun of racism. They do. You know what I mean? They, they 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 put it in a sense of like, yeah, these guys are bad because they're racist, and that's where like a lot of the all the racism comes from, like sort of the evil side of this, the the antagonist to this movie, right? Um, and, and and so you know, it's it makes it even more fun when the heroes come in and triumph yeah. and stuff. <laughs> Hedley Lamar sued Mel Brooks over the use of the name Hedley Lamar and settled <laughs> out of court. Brooks said he was flattered by this attention. The reference to suing Hedley, uh, or sorry, Hedy, H-E-D-Y, Lamar, was from Harvey Corman's first day on the set and ironically made a comedic reference to what was at that point a non-existent lawsuit. <laughs> uh, according to Mel Brooks in the commentary from Spaceballs 1987, when Gene Wilder first came on set for this movie, he asked about Brooks's next movie. He then suggested that he use an idea that Wilder himself had been writing. That idea was Young Frankenstein. Great movie. Oh, yeah. Hilarious. Oh, at around one hour and 27 minutes of this movie, um, at the end of the movie when the whole group is running out of the Warner Brothers Studios front gates, there is a man in a sweater standing on the sidewalk watching the action. Mel Brooks has said that the man was not part of the movie and had simply <laughs> wandered into the scene. They shoot him away and then went to film the scene. The guy came back into the shot and is seen standing next to a light pole as a character streamed past him down the street. Brooks had asked the man to move as they were getting ready to shoot that scene. The man, not understanding their request, stood there. So Brooks sent out a waiver for him to sign and left him in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. When filming, Burton Gilliam, who was Lyle the henchman of Taggart, was having a difficult time saying the word, uh, especially to Cleveland Little, because he really liked him. Finally, after several takes, Little took Gillum off the side and told him it was okay because they weren't, these weren't his words. Little jokingly added, though, if I thought you would say those words to me in any other situation, we go to Fist City, but this is all fun. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> um, That's good. Gene Wilder and Cleveland Little quickly became friends on the set. Since uh, Little was a Broadway actor, Wilder would give him pointers for acting in front of the camera. About the 41-minute mark, supposedly this movie uh, officially marks the first time the sound of farting has ever been used in a film, at least according to the filmmakers in the DVD commentary. According to Mel Brooks, they came up with the idea that after watching numerous old westerns where cowboys only consume black coffee and plates of beans, concluded that, that such a food combination would inevitably lead to farting. <laughs> long farting scene. <laughs> I mean, do you really think that's the first time farting's been in a movie? I you know, it. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you look at when we did, uh, um, what was it? Uh, I believe it was Psycho. That was the first time a toilet flushed in a scene. You know what I mean? But that was 19 what? This is 1974. I'm still not surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. Me either. I'd, I'd have to, I mean, the only way to know is to look at comedies because that's the only place it would show up, you know, is to yeah. look at comedies before this. Uh, when Mel Brooks advertised in the show's business trade papers for a Frankie Lane-type voice to sing the film's title song, he was hoping for a good imitator. Instead, Frankie Lane himself showed up at Brooks' <laughs> office two days later, ready to do the job, but nobody told him the movie was a parody. Apparently, Lane did not take offense of the deception concerning he reportedly was pleased with the film upon seeing it. Um, we'll leave that one out, because uh, <laughs> that's that's something I don't really think I can put in this podcast. Um when auditioning for the role of Lily, Madeline Kahn was asked by Mel Brooks to pull up her skirt so he could see her legs. She was quite hesitant, being unclear of Brooks's intentions. Brooks actually just wanted to see if she had legs good enough to approximate Marlene Dietrich's famous gams. So she lifted her skirt and said, no touching. The Lily Von Stoop character was a parody of Marlene Dietrich. I don't uh, know if you have it in there, and you might, but I just want to bring it up since we're kind of on the topic. Um, 
she actually got fired, purposely got fired off of another, another movie, movie. Yeah. to come to this movie because she really wanted to. And you to. know what? <laughs> we'll get to it, but she still had to get paid like a bunch of money. I, I got it in here somewhere. Uh, Richard Pryor actually came up with the character of Mongo. <laughs> Production began with Gig Young as Jim, the Waco Kid. On the first day of shooting the scene where the drunk Waco Kid hangs from a bunk asking if Bart is black, Young revealed that he was really indeed drunk because he had had alcohol problems for years and proceeded to undergo a physical collapse on set. According to Brooks, on the first day of shooting, we hung him upside down in the jail cell and green stuff started spewing out of his mouth. Oh no. Brooks shut down production for a day and Gene Wilder flew cross country to take over the role. Young sued Warner Brothers for breach of contract. Huh. So Gene Wilder wasn't officially in this movie at the beginning. Uh... Dom DeLuise had claimed that the role of the director of the film within a film, The French Mistake, was originally meant to be played by Peter Sellers. However, Mel Brooks, and during an exhaustive four-hour audition, had instead decided to cast DeLuise. Uh, here it is. The, well, we were just talking about Alan Claude started working on this movie the day after being fired from the role of Agnes Gooch in Mame, or Mame, M-A-M-E, Mame, yeah. 1970. <laughs> Lucille Ball. You know who Lucille Ball is? Uh, I know the other actor from that movie, B. Arthur. <laughs> Do you know who Lucille Ball is? Uh, I probably know her when I saw her. Have you ever seen I Love Lucy? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, audience. I'm working <laughs> with this guy. Um, I believe that Khan got herself fired by deliberately acting poorly so that she could take the role of Lily Von Stoop in this film, but still get paid for the Gooch role in uh, Mammy, which by her contract wouldn't have happened if she'd merely quit. Yeah. So she double dipped into them pocketbooks. Uh, one studio executive stopped Mel Brooks in the elevator at the Warner Brothers lot and told him that several scenes were offensive and needed to be cut in order for the picture to be released. Brooks nodded and agreed to be polite, even though he had no intention of changing a thing, being that he had final <laughs> cut written in his contract. <laughs> the role of Bart was actually intended for Richard Pryor, and I can only imagine that would have been great, because oh, him yeah. and Gene Wilder did a lot of stuff together anyway. But do... To the controversial nature of Pryor's stand-up routines of the day and his <laughs> reputation, Mel Brooks couldn't secure financing for the project with Pryor in that role, so he was made a co-writer of the script, and Cleveland Little played Bart. Pryor later got a, di a star in a different Western comedy, Adios Amigo. However, according to a 2013 interview with Gene Wilder, the casting change was a result of Pryor contacting Brooks via telephone during production, informing Brooks that he was in Cleveland and didn't know why. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the sound effects for the famous windbreaking scene where the cowboys are all around the campfire letting nature take its course uh, was added in the cutting room by Mel Brooks and any passerby <laughs> uh, the world premiere was at the Pickwick the uh, drive-in theater in Burbank California which has now since been demolished um, I, know, I think the other movie uh, it's here in a little bit that says uh, what other movie was there Yeah, but the guests rode horses into the drive-in for the premiere Oh, here it is. It was also the uh, location for Greece. Okay, got it. So, according to Mel Brooks's 1975 Playboy magazine interview, we mentioned Raisinets and Blazing Saddles, and now the company sends me a gross of them every month. A gross of Raisinets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, them things are nasty to begin with. I know, right? Uh, I did like the scene right before. He's like, for uh, the, he's for like the ticket, please. <laughs> I'm a student. She's like, yeah, yeah sure. sure. <laughs> uh, for the desert shoot, Slim Pickett stayed on the location in his RV and would sit out in front in the evenings with a campfire in his Winchester rifle. Uh, <laughs> around the 46th minute, the scene in which Mongo knocks out a horse ha has a base basis in reality. Mel Brooks' former year show of shows in 1950 and Caesar's Hour uh, boss, Sid Caesar, who has a physically imposing and somewhat violent man reported in 1982 autobiography, Where Have I Been?, that while trail riding with his wife, her horse caused trouble and he punched it between the eyes. The horse collapsed unconscious. He knows that this event was Brooks' inspiration for the Mongo versus horse scene. <laughs> Jeez. Punch <laughs> a horse, man. You know what I mean? Um, the Hebrew writing on the headband worn by Mel Brooks on the movie poster, which should translate to kosher for passover but it has a deliberate mistake the first letters were switched which translate into something like posher for cassover <laughs> the, the huge coin on the poster is described hi i'm mel trust me <laughs> oh, man. oh man 
The bull that Manga rides has yes painted on one side and no painted on the other. This is apparently a reference to the practice in the 1950s of marking the back of school buses for which side was safe to pass on, essentially implying that Mongo and his mouth were as big as a bus. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, according to Mel Brooks, there were a lot of scenes with the governor, uh, but he had to cut them for time. He joked, my whole performance was on the cutting room floor. Uh, the voice, oh, we already talked about that. Um, when Hedley Lamar uh, purchased a ticket at the office, Chinese box office uh, theater, you can see the temporary title of this film, which was Black Bart, yeah. uh, in the poster case in the background. I thought that was pretty cool. Even before that, it was supposed to be called TEDx. Yep, yep. Um, when Hedley's men ride through the fake town, there is a quick cut to Lily von Stube singing a drinking song with some German soldiers. They are singing <laughs> the same song that Zero Mostel and Gene Wilder were singing with Kenneth Mars and the producers in 1967. Huh. So he always has like different things in his movies, you know, that kind of like are that. in the other movies. Yeah. Uh, during a speech honoring Mel Brooks at the Kennedy Center, honoree. Former President Barack Obama mentioned going to see this film at the age of 12. When Brooks asked how he got in with the ratings restrictions, Obama replied, I think I had a fake ID that I got along with my fake birth certificate before adding the statute of limitations have passed. <laughs> That's great. Uh, Robert Wrigley's medieval hangman returned to Mel Brooks, Robin and Men and Tights. <laughs> so it's a recurring character. Um after the death of Gene Wilder in August 2016, man, that's been four years already, almost five. I know, right? Man. Uh, Mel Brooks and Burton Gilliam are the only survivors of the 14 main cast members. Mel Brooks was uh, one of the older cast members, being 47 at the time of filming, with only Slim Pickens and Liam Dunn being older at the time of filming. They died at age 64 and 59, respectively. Is Mel Brooks like 98 or something? He's got to be. Look that up. <laughs> uh, the character of Gabby Johnson is attributed to George Gabby, who film historians have dubbed the ultimate sidekick. Hayes appeared in almost 200 films, nearly all Westerns, including many early John Wayne films, and played sidekicks to such Western stars as Roy Rogers and Gene Autry. He's 94. Man. Good guy. I wonder if he's going to come out with anything. I, I Just one last movie. That's all I want. Yeah. <laughs> History of the World Part 2. Yes. <laughs> Uh, according to Mel Brooks' audio commentary, Warner Brothers released this film again in the summer of 1975 because it didn't have any other big pictures to release. Hmm. So, there you have that. Uh, almost 80 stuntmen worked on this film, many of them doubling as extras. Uh, Gene Wilder was originally offered the role of Hedley Lamar, but didn't feel right for it and told Mel Brooks that he wanted Jim the Waco Kid instead. However, Brooks wanted someone older for Jim the Waco Kid, someone like Dan Daly. Daly was originally considered for the role of Jim the Waco Kid, but poor health and declining eyesight forced him to decline. Mm. Mel Brooks asked Johnny Carson to play Jim the Waco Kid, but he declined. Do you know who so, Johnny Carson uh, was? Uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. Did you know it really is. No, it I really is. don't think you know anybody that I mentioned. That <laughs> Johnny Carson was like the, the, the late night show host before like David Letterman and all of them. That's right. Good grief. Uh, <laughs> Mel Brooks wrote this movie out of anger at white corruption, racism, and Bible-thumping bigotry. Uh, this is filmed on the same outdoor set as Westworld from 1973. Ooh. Uh, Alex Karras, uh, who played Mongo, was a defensive lineman for the Detroit Lions from 1958 to 1962 and 1964 to 1970. He missed the 1963 NFL season because he was suspended for gambling. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> well, um... At around one hour and 23 minutes, at the end of the final fight scene, as the camera pans to the Warner Studio buildings, you can see another setting towards the back. This is the set that served as the town in the Dukes of Hazard from 1979. And you can see the brick building that served as the police station and town. That oh, whole scene is hilarious. Have you seen Dukes of Hazard? Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Well, I was going to say. <laughs> um, at the beginning of the scene in which Mongo awakens chained up in the sheriff's office when Bart is hanging up posters on the board, there is a wanted poster already hanging up on the wall. This same wanted poster can be seen on the wall in the jailhouse in the John Wayne movie Rio Bravo from 1959. Uh, Premier voted this movie one of the 50, top 50 greatest comedies of all time in 2006. Is number 9 on Bravo's list of the 100 funniest movies. Uh, Andrew Bergman said, you couldn't make this movie today. You couldn't say the N-word in the movie today, not even in a comic way. Yeah. So, I mean, it's true. It's 100% true. Um... The character of Boris the Executor is a parody of Mord, the role of Boris Karloff played in Tower of London in 1939. Mord was an assassin hired by Richard III to eliminate his rivals to the British throne. 
The original plan for the film was to have Alan Arkin direct with James Earl Jones playing Bart. Can you imagine? Oh, yeah. Uh, I did read that. <laughs> I thought that was, that was really interesting. Um, that would have been, been very interesting. <laughs> it, would, it would have been really interesting. Uh, the film is ranked number six on AFI's 100 Years uh, of 100 Laughs. Uh, George Firth wore red socks during filming, claiming he had heard Van Johnson always wore red socks. <laughs> uh, Mel Brooks' son, uh, writer Max Brooks, was born during this production. Uh, when we see the sign introducing Von Stoop, the harpsichord melody that plays is the first few nights of springtime for Hitler, the most memorable song from Mel Brooks' other film, The Producer. Uh, about his son, do you, do you know what, uh, um, what he wrote? I do not. He wrote uh, Daisy. Wrote what? Um, Daisy Duke? No, no, no. Like like the, the zombie movie. <laughs> Why don't you look up what else he's wrote? Maybe something people have seen. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish he would take after his dad and write some... I wonder how old his son is. He's got to be like 60 or something. Oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a dummy. Daisy. World War Z. Thank you. I was um, like, Daisy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, he's not uh, so much uh, writing movies, but he does write books. So World War Z being the most notable one. Uh, he also wrote the Zombie Survival Guide. Um, looks like he wrote a Minecraft book and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, just stop. <laughs> How old is he now? Let's find out. He's got to be, man, he's got to be. This is in 78. Okay, so not that bad. Uh, after the initial screening, one of the executives walked up to Mel Brooks with a list of items that would have to be changed. Mel took the list and said he would consider the suggestions. As he walked out of the room, he <laughs> dropped them in the nearest wastebasket. <laughs> I love it. Um, when the Waco kid tells the sheriff why he stopped being a gunfighter and became a drug, because gunslingers from miles around sought him out, and the final one was a child. His words are almost identical to that of Al Denton, who was the alcoholic former gunfighter in the Twilight Zone. Mr. Denton on Doomsday. I think that was back when you were still doing the Twilight yeah. Zone with me. Yeah, I caught that when I was, when I was watching uh, um, it every like the the first time when I watched this months ago. <laughs> this episode, I was like, I was like, wait a minute, is that on purpose? Right. Uh, that, yeah, it turns out it is. Uh, the four hundred dollar handcart would be worth nine thousand and six dollars and forty four cents in two thousand and nineteen. Oh wow. Amazingly, Warner Brothers produced four full years of this TV show they never intended to air. There was a Blazing Saddles TV show. So sitting in a Warner Brothers vault somewhere, there are four years of the horrible Black Bart sitcom that everyone hated and was never intended to see the light of day. Details <laughs> about the failed Blazing Saddles sitcom, as well as the rest of this tawdry story, can be viewed on the Blazing Saddles DVD. You can also watch the Black Bart pilot online on YouTube. Interesting. Very interesting. I wonder who wrote it. You I know don't, what I mean? I don't, it it I, might I have been know. different writers, which is why it just did Flopped. not work. <laughs> right. Uh, this was Mel Brooks's first movie filmed in Panavision Scope 2.35 to 1. Mel Brooks has a character as Gov on the back of his jacket. He did the same gag in the Muppet movies from 1979. Uh, there was another Black Bart, a Muppet who appeared in a series of skits on Sesame Street involving the alphabet. This Black Bart was a black-clad outlaw who only came on this into the saloon when he wanted to show the viewers how to do a letter. <laughs> His skits were discontinued in the early 90s. Uh, there was a Blazing Saddles sitcom spinoff, which aired on TV in 1975, which had a laugh track and starred future Oscar winner Louis Gossett Jr. It was called Black Bart. That's hmm. only one episode. <laughs> only one episode, man. Uh, I don't know, man. Uh, this movie begins where Once Upon a Time in the West in 1968 ends with the camera on the locomotive almost in the same position showing the railroad workers and the railroad. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Uh, Cleveland Little was up for the role of Bobby Wheeler on Taxi in 1978, but Jeff Conway beat him out at the last minute. If Little was cast, he would be the only African-American member of the regular cast. Uh, J. Allen Thomas had a semi-regular role as Jeff, which was Louis' assistant. As it was, Conaway was cast, uh, but ended up getting fired in the fourth season anyway. Jeez, it is never. This is something. It is never mentioned why Jim the Waco Kid is in jail. Drunk, I would imagine. I mean, they didn't <laughs> kind of I, allude it to it. It's like because he says, "Ah, drunkard number two awake," which would insinuate there was somebody else in that jail who got up and left, and then uh, uh, Waco woke up. <laughs> 
Uh, here, here's the last time I Actor Slim Pickens' name became, became a catchphrase after the popularity and success of this movie. Now, whenever someone wants to convey a small number of choices or a sparse number of examples of a certain thing, they say it's Slim Pickens. Jokingly referring to the actor's name and also that it sounds like Slim Pickings. Example, recently Leslie Mann commented on Catherine Heigl's comment that Knocked Up was sexist. I kind of don't know what she's talking about. She said, I'm out here, there in Hollywood, and in terms of good quality roles for women, it's Slim Pickens. Uh, and Judd does write good roles for women. This kind of catchphrasing of Slim Pickens' name all started in 74 and 75 after Blazing Saddles became this big cultural phenomenon. A little bit of pop culture influence. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> director cameos, Mel Brooks, around the one hour and ten minutes uh, in the outlaw recruitment line, smiling, wearing aviator's costume, also portraying the governor and the Indian chief. Uh, the trade Yiddish director speaking Indian chief. That <laughs> the, I forgot about speaking it. Yiddish. <laughs> and then when he started speaking, I was, I was um, rolling, man. Mel Brooks. Uh, this is our director trademarks. Mel Brooks. The harumph <laughs> created a mom noise by having people say harumph. We can hear an example of this. But at the townspeople refused to give land to the Irish in the ensuing hubbub. Brooks can be heard to say uh, to say everybody harumph. You didn't say harumph. <laughs> and then Mel Brooks also um, also often uh, breaks the fourth wall with characters, having character or actors and actresses speak directly to the audience. <laughs> yeah. So Terrence, give me your thoughts on the Blazing Saddles. Absolutely hilarious. I do admit it has a shaky start. <laughs> Real uh, shaky. Because <laughs> because when you first get into it, um, and actually I, I didn't see this. I've seen a lot of Mel Brooks movies. But I actually didn't see this one until like way later, and I just never owned it or had the chance to. And I was flipping through Netflix, and it was on Netflix. I was like, "Oh, I can finally watch Blazing Saddles." Um, and yeah, the beginning is like, "What am I getting into?" <laughs> yeah. uh, but honestly, as soon as Bart becomes the sheriff, I think that's when it really picks up, and then from there it's just hilarity. Uh, but yeah, no, the beginning is is the shakiest part of of this movie for sure. Uh, but once you get past it, it's absolutely hilarious now it is you know definitely the type of comedy that it you just you don't see it today but i mean it, it was made like you know as you saw in our notes and stuff it was definitely made to combat like racism and really show the absurdity of it you know in this in this really wonderful comedy right um yeah it to me man it was it and as now, funny as now, I find it, it's 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 definitely like as far as the list of Mel Brooks movies. If I rated all the Mel Brooks movies, this one would be on the lower end spectrum. Right. But that's you know they're all gold to me. So it's right. Just, but to me, uh, watching this again after man, when I was a kid, I would crack up and all that. You know what I mean? But then watching it when you get older, you're like, number one, how did he get away with a lot of this stuff? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was feeling bad for the. Watching it, when they started using the word, you know what I mean. I was like, yeah. man, that you know, this would never ever be made today. There's no way possible it would ever be made oh, today. No, no, no. I don't think it'd ever be made again. Matter of fact, it'll probably be censored. Um, where it'd be like tonight on HBO, Blazing Saddles from at seven o'clock and ends at seven oh eight. You know what I mean? It'd be something like it'd be like the intro scene, haha. And then it'd be like one funny line, and then it'd be the closing credits because. Yeah. That, I mean, he makes fun of everybody. I mean, you, he makes fun of African Americans. He makes fun of white people. He makes fun of the Jews. He makes fun of Germans. I mean, he just uh, goes it's, on and on and on. You know what uh, I mean? And, yeah, and, yeah. and at least when he does it, you know, he did it to prove, you know, you guys, this this isn't the way things should be. You know what I mean? And in the end, the bad guy loses and the good guy wins. But I mean, you go when they start busting through all those Hollywood sets at the end, you know what I mean? Just oh, fighting man, in the so lunchroom, fighting through, what was that? The French thing with all the guys, you know what I, mean? I don't know what that was all about, but I mean, to me, it, it's a hard watch these days. Um, if you grew up in the era that I did, um, it would, it was easier to digest, I guess, but, yeah. but going back and watching it, just, if you're very sensitive or, um, not thick skinned, it's definitely not going to be for you. I mean, you know especially, what I mean? Like I said, the especially like the first, I wouldn't say chunk, but like the beginning of the movie, it, it takes time to pick up speed, and it picks up speed once it introduces its main characters. And Cleveland uh, Little played an excellent part, man. I mean, oh yeah, I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, Gene Wilder, I loved him. Uh, Headley, he was good. I mean, they're all golden <laughs> yeah. actors, you know what I mean? Mongo. Um, you know, but if I had to pick a couple of favorite scenes, one of them, man, is when he... Uh, he starts walking into the town, you know, and that guy's on the Luca Tower. <laughs> he oh, sees yeah. him right in the town. And, uh, the sheriff's coming in. 
<laughs> yeah, ding. But uh, you know, he gets into town, and you know they have this big welcome party. And all of a sudden, you know that banner rolls up. <laughs> you know, the people just like kind of disperse. They're all just standing. Um, so I, li- I like that. I like when the the the, uh, uh, the bad guys are out there and they come to the toll booth or whatever. You know, has anybody got any change? You know, because <laughs> they can just go around. You know what I mean? But send someone back and get some dimes. Yeah, we need lots uh, of dimes. Oh, I like great. that. I, I like uh, the Waco kid. I, I like, like everything. Yeah, he, he had one of my favorite lines. He's like, uh, "Yeah, name's Jim, but they call me Jim." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I mean. Just just be warned, if you've never seen this movie, that there is a lot of uh, racial content uh, from set back in the day. This is this is one of the movies that when we came up with our disclaimer, this is one of the movies why we have a disclaimer in our, yeah, in our beginning. Because, um, again, this was shot in a different time. Does that make it right? No. But you can't erase... It's like you can't erase history, man, or you're never going to learn from it. You know what I mean? Um, and I think that's what Mel Brooks does in his in a lot of his comedies. It's not so much like he he's very aware of you know past things that have been done, and he just takes that and uh, he just you know he brings it to light. I mean through comedy. I mean, there's even a point in this movie <laughs> where you know uh, Headley is trying to find the rottenest people to come down there and take down there, and they are in Ku Klux Klan outfits. You know, like Gene Wilder and. Uh, Bart are in Ku Klux Klan full garb or whatever, you know, and he puts his hand out, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, oh, man, he's just hands dirty from right. the cross burden. Right. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not, it's just a lot of stuff that he covers, man, that I don't think it would be touched today. But let me ask you this. Do you think movies like this should be made today? That is an interesting question. I don't think... They could just because, you know, of what vast audience, you know, uh, feel and think. Uh, you just kind of look at where people's headspace is in today's day and age. And uh, it, it might, you know, work as like an indie film or maybe like an off comedy on Netflix. Kind of like uh, another movie that sort of um, definitely didn't push the bounds like this, but it, there was definitely a lot of controversy behind it um, was the interview. Remember when right, that right, came right, out? Right. That was like. Oh wow! You know this is doing this and that. Well, that was and different was, though. That was, was diplomatic a, relations. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, starting a war over you know, a movie. It was, um, you know, a straight uh, uh, Netflix release, and you know, a lot of people watching, like, oh yeah, this is actually really hilarious. So I can see this type of comedy maybe slipping under the radar like that. But as far as like uh, you know, Mainstream big box, box office release, you won't see a comedy like this. I mean, you look at a lot of the comedies today; um, it's more. Like lighthearted, and I, I really think it's because we get enough of the like the reality on a daily, just based on kind of what's been going on, just for the last, you know. What what? Let's let's poke your brain, man. What do you think was the last uh, slapstick comedy like this that was out? I mean, I know you had the Naked Guns there for a while. You had yeah. Dracula Dead and Loving It. You had the Mel Brooks films. I'm trying to think of what. I mean, you had Hot Shots. I, I can't remember what the last movie. Um, that had this type of comedy and you know i mean the the silly comedy if yeah, you will. yeah yeah like slapstick kind of crude humor right you know? um i want to say probably like 90s i mean but do you know what no i i couldn't tell you sort of the uh i'm trying to think of like all the comedies two? i don't i mean um, i don't know i mean you have some of those ones on on that that are coming out like you know they make fun of the hunger games the starving games and yeah, stuff like that yeah. but i wouldn't consider them you know, the last ones that hit the box office, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I can't think of the, any. Yeah, uh, um, the, the Wayne's Brothers movies, um, you know, they do all the screams and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and even, like, their funniest movies were, like, early 2000s, but then they kind of became not funny. Right. Uh, then they just kind of petered off. I mean, I don't know, was Medea's um, Family Reunion? I don't know if they, I would classify I, I, that I, as, I as this kind of comedy, that's, you know what I mean? not even close to this kind of comedy. Um... But I, I don't think – I think we need more kind of this comedy, not necessarily with the racial content that this movie has, but I mean just this kind of comedy in general. It's a yeah. dying art, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think – well, I, I think like you were saying before, you know, when you watch this, you got to, you know, be prepared to have thick skin. Uh, and I think – and that's not to say that it's wrong to be offended by stuff like this. Right. You know, everybody has their right to be offended by what they're offended by. But um, I think sort of – you know, if, you, if there's a lot of 
people who just don't sort of want this kind of thing anymore, so it's not being made. I mean, obviously, when you make a movie, you think, who's my target audience and how big is that audience? And, and there's not so much of a big audience for this kind of comedy anymore. Um, you know, you won't see sort of, you know, big bombastic comedians like Richard Pryor. You know, coming on stage and saying, "Well, like, a lot you're not going to see Richard Pryor because <laughs> yeah, exactly, he's but, dead." But uh, <laughs> a lot of them, you know, a lot of them know, old like, comedians are dying off, though. That's that's another thing too. You know, like um, uh, what was his name, George uh, George Carlin, yeah, uh, Richard Pryor, uh, Mel Brooks is still alive. Knock on wood, Betty White's still alive. Uh, thank goodness. But I'm just saying, a lot of those old time comedies. The stand-up's not there anymore. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, I mean it's it's, it's a different, way different type. Um, and it's it's sort of everybody is is. I I also think it's because on the comedian side of things, um, you know, you got social media out now. So like, if you're an upcoming you know uh, comedic artist, uh, all it takes is for one person with a cell phone to you know record one of your crummier bits, and you don't have that. Re- there's not really too much room for error nowadays. Uh, all it takes is one person to upload maybe a crappy joke you had, and then you're done. You right. Know? Well, I mean, it's like who was it? Um, Michael Richards, the guy that played uh, on Seinfeld, played a uh, Kramer. Yeah. You know, somebody videotaped him doing one of his stand-up things or whatever. You know what I mean? And yeah. it destroyed his career. Yeah. And some of the stuff he said is some of the stuff that's in this movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so obviously it's went to the other end extreme. You know what I yeah. mean? So, well. Um, I think this episode's coming down, winding down. Um, final thoughts, Terrence? See it? Yes or no? Would you say uh, tell people to watch this? Or yes or no? Uh, if if you're not sensitive to racial content, absolutely watch it. If you are, then you probably want to pass. But, and if you like Mel Brooks, definitely watch it because you've probably already seen it. If you like Mel Brooks, yeah, exactly. Um, because it's in all those box sets and everything. If you haven't and you want to get into Mel Brooks, I would push this one off to the side. I would watch some of his other stuff and like wean in with that other stuff because this is probably is is like harshest comedy <laughs> uh, for sure i mean like you got more lighthearted ones like young frankenstein you got um, uh, uh, robin hood men in tights history of the world part one uh high anxiety it, that one you know that's making fun of hitchcock films it's right. great um uh even some like his first ones you know uh the producers and 12 chairs um uh, there's a lot of other Mel Brooks films you can enjoy. Hey, uh, 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 Spaceballs, you know? That that one's, even if people haven't seen other Mel Brooks films, if you like Star Wars, check out Spaceballs. Right. <laughs> um, so, next time we record, we're actually doing a fan pick, um, and this comes from all the way over in Australia. Uh, Natasha has asked us to do Jurassic Park. So we're going to be doing Jurassic Park next time we record. I'm going to try to set up a phone interview with her if I can, and I'll put it on here. Um, but Jurassic Park next time we record, which should be fun. It's it's oh, yeah. always been one of my favorites. I love dinosaurs in general, so uh, it takes me back to my childhood. So Jurassic Park, make sure you watch it uh, before next time we record. Hopefully next week yes. if Terrence doesn't get <laughs> lost on the road uh, in his box truck. And maybe not until... If not, it might not be till April or May before we see Terrence again. So... Um, Well, I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And And cut. cut.